0: While horror films are rife with deaths of all kinds, one dark thread is the brutality with which female victims are slain. The female victims usually fall into one of five categories, so let's unpack each one and take a look at what they really represent. Across all genres of film, women are often portrayed as victims in one context or another, whether they're in mortal danger or just falling prey to the ills of society. In horror, however, their peril is made more literal. Someone, or something, is lurking in the shadows, preparing to attack. In a reflection of real-life trends, women are overwhelmingly portrayed as victims to evil men who wish to do them harm, though in a deviation from reality, these men are usually an unknown other. There are of course plenty of male victims in horror as well, but the different types of female victims we see on screen reflect society's views of what types of femininity and womanhood are and aren't acceptable. Which types are seen as worthy, and which are seen as being in need of punishment. So let's dig into these tropes and analyze what they tell us about society and its changing views on women over the years. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Women have long had their genuine concerns and feelings hand waved away as hysteria. You're not listening to me, oh my God. I'm gonna f-ing die, and no one will listen to me! Okay, she's just too emotional to think rationally, too weak to take care of herself. You're your I can't do my breathing. Give me one deep breath. No. And this is ratcheted up to an even higher degree in horror. The hysterical girl is often most remembered for her continual screeching. Until, of course, she trips while running from the villain, only to be saved by a more capable man, if she's lucky. Please help me! Please! Don't you know what's going on out there? This is no Sunday school picnic! Don't you understand my brother is alone? And it's this damsel in distress stereotype that is at the core of the hysterical girl's identity. The belief that while, sure, some women may be able to hold their own every once in a while, most women need a guy to take care of them if they're going to have a chance of making it in this world. But this trope is also grounded in the idea that there is some level of unhinged delirium lurking in every woman, just waiting to jump out at the slightest disturbance and render her completely incapacitated. While this character type is often the first to go in group settings, sometimes she does manage to fight her way to the very end, even if she does have to cry the whole time. And honestly, given what she's having to deal with, who can blame her? I've just run through the godforsaken wilderness for miles. I've been mutilated by a carousel of maniacs. So forgive me if I cannot get my f-ing shit together. Wendy Torrance spends a large part of The Shining's runtime crying and running from her increasingly more insane husband, Jack. But in the end, she isn't taken out by him or saved by some other guy. Though she does get an assist from her psychic kid's hedge maze skills. And modern horror is starting to take a deeper look at the reality behind its female character's big emotions. Take Danny from Midsummer. She begins the film traumatized by the murder-suicide that took out her family, and then has to contend with her aloof, uncaring boyfriend pulling away from her in her time of need. Within the Harga commune, her emotions aren't seen as over the top, but instead an integral part of her existence. And instead of mocking or deriding her, the cult members instead join in with her during her breakdown. (sighs) This mimicking is used as a way to erase Danny's individual pain, and indeed her individuality altogether, and pull her deeper into the community itself. But we'll get back to Danny's journey in just a bit. While the hysterical girl is shamed for her unwieldy emotions, the next type finds herself in hot water for her lack of restraint in another area. The promiscuous girl is hot and just here to have a good time. And for that, she has to pay. These are the bad girls who start out in skimpy outfits and usually lose even more clothing before they eventually lose their lives. See anything you like? She's a siren often seen luring a male character into a dark room away from the group. She's unconcerned about any danger and he has other things clouding out his more rational mind. Her lack of chastity is seen as a moral failing for which she must be punished. And she's also often framed as stupid, and thus somehow doubly deserving of her outcome. Instead of eliciting sympathy, she's usually mocked. They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act, who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. This character type also exists, of course, to be the whore to which the Madonna final girl is compared, to show why she is morally deserving of coming out on top. The whore? She's corrupted. She dies first. The promiscuous girl and her required demise are part and parcel of larger cultural attitudes towards women's sexuality, specifically women taking control of their own sexuality. The audience wants to see her bear all, to go all the way. Nice. She's a naughty girl. <laughs> but because she's doing it of her own accord and not being coerced or tricked or forced into sex, that is where the line is drawn. A woman owning her own sexuality is too threatening to the wider patriarchal forces, and so she must be snuffed out. Sometimes even while having sex. Now you're no longer a virgin. What? <laughs> <I said virgin. laughs> now you gotta die. Those are the rules. Whether she doesn't believe in ghosts, this is a joke doesn't think her friends are really being pursued by a serial killer, or just thinks everyone is too paranoid. They're just dreams, okay, they're not real. Eventually, the skeptic is shown that the threat to her friend group is very real. Sometimes her skepticism is framed as stemming from stupidity or just having a bad attitude, but other times it seems almost like a defense mechanism, that if she doesn't accept the reality of the threat, then maybe it'll just disappear. I love you, but you're going to have to get a hold of yourself. Mark knows I'm not crazy. Ask him to show you his hands. I think you just need to calm down, okay? This trope often feels like a reaction to the hysterical girl. The skeptic knows that being too emotional or too crazy means you won't be believed. So she's going to wait until the threat is right in her face, sometimes literally, to accept what's really going on. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. (laughs) But while her skepticism can sometimes come from a subconscious desire for self-protection, it can also be used as a reason she ends up being seen as deserving of her torturous fate. In her attempt to not get pegged as hysterical, she often crosses over into being seen as too naive or even too dumb to grasp how dire the situation is until it's too late. So then it's seen as her fault for not acting sooner. You haven't seen or been through what we have. Yet. Okay, so who's next in this theory you have? Me or Ian? That we don't know if Ashley or Ashlyn died first. Hmm, death is Complicated. This reflects the tightrope women in real life have to walk, having to always be cautious and vigilant while also not being too bothered. If you react too early, you're crazy. But if you react too late, then you're an idiot who should have seen it coming. While this character type appears across all different kinds of horror, it is interestingly prevalent in stories that take place in high school and college settings. What are you trying to say, Natalie? It's like someone out there is taking all these stories and making them reality you <sighs> High school graduation serves as the moment you're thrust out into the real world. So this is the age when young women really begin having to struggle with this paradox and having to live in fear of coming down on the wrong side at the wrong time and paying the ultimate price. She's icy, cruel, and set up for audiences to hate her. The bitch isn't afraid to speak her mind constantly and doesn't care how she might hurt those around her. Candace, do you actually get paid for this internship or does daddy just increase your allowance? She's always willing to stand up for her herself, and sometimes even save herself at the expense of others. While the hysterical girl is punished for being too helpless and emotional, the bitch shows that going too far in the other direction can lead to dire consequences too. Though self-confidence is seen as a positive in the final girl, don't worry, we'll get to her soon. The bitch takes things too far. She's set up to be so hateable to make the audience want to watch her die an extra painful death. Where is everybody? Um, dead? Yeah, and then the corpses drove their cars home, idiot. Bitch. As she manipulates and berates everyone around her, it almost becomes more fun to root for the villain. That girl really needs to learn to keep her mouth shut. In the same way that the promiscuous girl is punished for stepping out of line with her sexuality, the bitch, too, must suffer for falling outside of society's accepted boxes of femininity, in this case caring and kindness. Uh, uh, what do we say? I hate you? That works? Yeah? Yeah. Good. I think about murdering him sometimes. Beauty queen Helen Shivers of 1997's I Know What You Did Last Summer is willing to stand up for her friends, but she always wants things her way, whether it's her hair or the way her boyfriend tells a scary story. She hears this, like, scratching sound. It's not a scratching sound, it's a drip. Her hard shell was formed as a means of protection of her soft heart hiding underneath, both as she climbed the social ladder and dealt with a lack of love at home. She's framed as being too vain. You and your hair. It is so pathetic. And is first humiliated by having her beautiful hair taken away before horrifically losing her life too. When Helen agreed to help hide the body, she sealed her fate as the bitch. And so punishment was inevitable the final girl through her wit and inner strength she's managed to be the last one standing we've already done a whole video on the final girl trope which we'll link at the end so you can check it out next so let's break down her most integral qualities nancy you can't be the final girl it's not in your dna or whatever You're the shy girl with the clipboard and the guitar. You get laid and then you die. You're just part of the body count. She's straight-laced. She's smart and curious, but not overbearing. She's, well, not like the other girls. The final girl became a beacon of empowerment because she saved herself in a world filled with damsels in distress. But trying to fit all acceptable women into the singular box, of course, posed problems. This trope was long used to hold up the ideal of the girl we should aim to be. She's not a slut or a bitch or crying all the time so she gets to live. And if you want to live, you better start acting like her. More recent horror films have begun to explore these questions of female agency, and who gets to be a final girl more thoroughly. They think like us. They know where we are. They won't stop until they kill us, or we kill them. Again, take Danny from Midsummer. Once she's found her inner strength, she doesn't give up her emotional nature, but instead uses it to take control and revel in the punishment of her controlling boyfriend. We've also seen many recent sequels and reboots to classic horror films that now feature their final girls back with a vengeance, now ready to truly destroy the villain that once had them running scared. Halloween's Laurie Strode is one of horror's most iconic final girls. In fact, she was the one that established most of the stereotypes we've come to connect with trope. She's observant and capable of fighting back, and importantly, not interested in sex. Poor Laurie, scared another one away. It's tragic, you never go out. She survived her ordeal with Michael Myers back in 1978. And in the recent Halloween trilogy, which were made to be direct sequels to that original film, the story unpacks the true cost of being a final girl. Lori isn't proud and boastful about vanquishing a villain. She has post-traumatic stress disorder and lives with the paranoia that one day he'll come back for her, which she was right to be concerned about. Horror is one of the only genres where women appear and speak as much as men, and this can feel like some much needed representation on screen. But it's important to interrogate what exactly is being represented. Cliches and tropes are inevitable on screen, and can even make the viewing experience a lot of fun. There's a formula to it! A VERY SIMPLE FORMULA! But putting women into these repetitive reductive boxes, shaming them for basic traits of their personalities, and even implying that they don't deserve to live if they don't act a certain way, obviously isn't a step forward. That's why it's so important that modern films are taking the care to examine the societal forces behind these tropes and do away with their limiting natures in favor of creating well-rounded, multifaceted characters that don't have to be innocent or even nice to survive. That's the take! Click here to watch the video we think you'll love, or here to check out a whole playlist of awesome content. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications.